Up next, Biz 503, the Portland-centric podcast for startups and small businesses. We believe it, we live it, and there's something about Brand Portland that has taken a meteoric rise in our world. Welcome to Biz 503, the Portland startup and small business podcast from Portland Radio Project. I'm Andy Gingrich, the digital managing editor of the Portland Business Journal. And I'm Kevin Hahn, local musician and owner of Opal Studio in Portland, Oregon. And at PRP, Portland's growing, evolving music scene is one of our favorite things about the city. While many local bands have reached national stardom, the city continues to produce a wider array of genres and artists. Recording all this musical output at a high standard often requires dedicated professionals and sophisticated equipment. That means basically you need a recording studio. We're taking a look inside recording studios and the work that they do today with our panel. Matt Greco is a mixing engineer, producer, and owner of The Rye Room recording studio here in Portland. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. The Rye Room. That's fun to say. And Adam Sweeney is a local musician and recording engineer who is currently helping Vortex Magazine produce an issue all about recording. Vortex is awesome. About studios, I should say. Uh, That issue comes out April 21st. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, So cool. Thanks, Adam. And um, so we're going to talk about a lot of things today. We'll we'll start, you know, since we left off with you, Adam, um, you know, give us a little bit of an explainer about what a recording studio is. I mean, basically, people might think that they can just walk into a room. There are a bunch of microphones, maybe some guitars or whatever, but it's way more than that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess when you're speaking of a recording studio in that capacity, like, um, I mean, there's a lot of basement studios around Portland that are a room with just a few mics and a laptop. Uh, but generally what you're talking about is a room that's been, you know, sonically treated, you know, to have live spaces, dead spaces for recording, and then like kind of a neutral mixing space where you can trust the sounds that you're hearing. There's also usually a fairly extensive array of outboard gear that may not be available for people recording at home and uh, usually a, a outboard gear oh yeah so like you know actual physical boxes uh anyone who's done like home recording is used to like putting plugins on things compressors and eqs and these were always physical electronic boxes in the past and that's what you're going to see at more of a commercial recording space and they sound different. They do different things than like the plugins are going to do, but they also tend to be way more expensive than your average recording enthusiast at home can afford. So you're going to have access to better gear and you're going to have access to better microphones and you're going to be recording in a, a better finely tuned space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you're going to be paying money for it too. We'll get to that in a, in a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what sort of spaces are the best for this? You mentioned having the right kind of sounds and the right kind of like deadening equipment. Like we're looking at this in the radio studio right now. You can't see it, so I shouldn't be talking about it. But, um, <laughs> but e- either way, I mean, are there better like areas or types of buildings that you're looking at when you're looking to start your own studio? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on, you know, what are you looking to kind of do? In the best case scenario, if you're looking to just build a big commercial recording studio and money's really no object, um, then having like a big space, like maybe like a commercial warehouse that then you're kind of building out a recording studio into can be cool. Or even like some people will take like old churches and, you know, build a studio into an old church just because already the the church has like amazing acoustics and was kind of built for that, you know, so that can make a really cool live room. Having a, a really big, great sounding live room can be a definitely big thing for a commercial recording studio. So that can be one aspect. But which, which would be like something that maybe like if you're working with Wyden Kennedy or someone like that who's yeah. dropping them big bucks for, for totally. Commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I would say um, they come in all shapes and sizes, like Matt was saying. I mean, I've seen them installed in houses or ADUs behind people's houses. I've seen them in warehouses and churches and those types of spaces. Um, you'll find them at some venues in Portland. Secret Society is both a venue, but it also has a recording studio component mm-hmm. to it. And there are a lot of ways we can adapt a lot of existing spaces, but what you find like Matt was saying, like if you want a big live room, there's no substitute for a gigantic room. Um, right. You can't really fake that in a small basement studio. Yeah. And, you know, you can throw as many reverb plugins as you want on it. It's not going to sound the same as if it was tracked in an actual room that is pushing that amount of air. Yeah. And we'll get like right to the money question. Like, <laughs> sure. You know, I'm a business reporter, so we always want to know how much stuff costs. But let's say like <laughs> someone does want to like uh, build an ADU and uh, start a studio out there. Mm-hmm. Like what ballpark? What are we talking? Oh, man. Well, it kind (laughs) of, I would say it kind of depends on what you're looking to build and yeah, and kind of what your budget is. I mean, for to kind of like take my space, I had when I built the Rye Room a couple of years ago, I had an idea going in that I wanted it to be smaller and and I didn't want to go crazy building it out just because I don't have a ton of money and I'm not made of money and stuff. So you don't have um, White and Kennedy money. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, and I had kind of come in with a budget in mind, I think of like 20 K or something like that, 25 K. And then I had in my head had kind of like gotten like 30 sort of together to kind of leave a little bit of extra room. And as I was going along, everyone was all telling me that, you know, double the time to build, double the budget, you know, and I was like, wow, you're, I don't know, you guys are crazy. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and at the end of the day, all in all, (laughs) yeah, I know, right? At the end of the day, all in all, the whole build out was basically 60K. So, you know, I think it was really good advice from all those people who clearly were knowing what they were talking about, and you know, so... So yeah, and that was, the MySpace is small, you know, I mean, I definitely built it out right to make sure that, you know, it was really soundproof and, and that the rooms sound good and everything and it looks cool and feels good and everything, which is, that's an important part too. Oh, that's super important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like beyond just uh, just uh, the, the, the couch and... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like vibe is really important for a musician and artist to kind of get into it, into the studio. So that was an important aspect of what I did with building the Rye Room. But yeah, having the space built out correctly was still important for me. So putting in that money, but again, my space is roughly 900 square feet, you know, just under. So it's not a big space. Big enough for vocal room or... or, Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I've got plenty of room. I've got my little front lobby area and then my control room, which is a decent size. I kind of wanted to make sure that I had a big enough mix room so that everyone, the band was comfortable and everything. And and then my live room, and then I've got a, a nicer room off of that. So oh, nice. plenty of space. Hey, Matt, uh, how did you decide to open a studio, and how long did it take you to build? Yeah, so deciding to open up the studio kind of came from, uh, I had been freelancing for many years prior to that, and basically the space came available. Uh, it's a couple blocks from where I live, so it's totally perfect. Nice. And I had been working long enough in the industry at that point to know that actually building a recording studio is a pretty horrible idea. So I, I, had, I actually kind of had to have everyone else convince me that it sure. was that it was a good idea. But after, you know, after kind of sitting on it for a little bit, I, I did realize that, you know, I, th- I thought it would be a good idea to build out the space and to just for the first time actually have my own space that I could really push and stand behind the, you know, marketing, like the company and everything and just kind of having an actual like business, you know. I feel like it's slightly harder 
sometimes to kind of sell yourself mm -hmm. for some reason with freelancing for many years. And I know tons of guys who freelance and love it. And maybe at some point I'll decide that having a studio is horrible and I'll go back to freelancing. <laughs> I don't know. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm happy having the space. And... I've never spent 60 grand, I hope. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> so yeah, uh, building out the studio, it basically took roughly a year, wow. I would say. And actual build out time was was really only a couple months, but the city of Portland and their lovely permitting process slowed me down quite a bit. Oh, so yeah. total build time was, yeah, about a year. Wow. Hey, Adam, what does uh, staffing in these studios look like? Are there dedicated staff, freelancers, or a mix of both? You know, once again, it depends on the studio. Um, I'd say in Portland, it's more common to have a studio where there's one or two owners and maybe in a partnership. Mm -hmm. But I think it's been really, really common for most of that to be staffed by freelance engineers. Um, there are a few exceptions, of mm -hmm. course. But, you know, where towns like L.A. or Nashville, you'll have kind of dedicated, more old school with like, you know, house engineers, interns, you know, and the whole gamut. But in Portland, it tends to be, uh, in my experience, I don't know if you've had similar experience, mm -hmm. Matt, but it, it seems like it's uh, more freelancers renting out a space uh, mm -hmm. or leasing it for a time for a particular project. And then yeah. um, even in a studio like Jackpot, it's pretty high rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. makes it important that you're coming out with the story in Vortex again, <laughs> which will be effectively a guide to the studios. That's right. Yeah. And we're trying to get a, an overview of all studios of all different levels, you know, you know, bigger commercial, maybe even national level studios like uh, Tucker Martin and Flora, mm -hmm. but then also, you know, mid-sized rooms uh, like the Rye Room mm -hmm. or, you know, spaces like the Map Room where a lot of uh, it's a, a single room, large space where uh, engineers tend to rent out, trying to get an overview of of, of all of the different types of studios, as well as the producers and engineers that work in them. Yeah, cool. that's great stuff. So coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about the relationship between local musicians and the studios they record in after a short break. Support for Biz503 comes from Premium Websites, offering website and social media marketing to startups and small businesses. For more, go to premiumwebsites.net. Welcome back to Biz 503. We're talking today about the relationship between recording studios and musicians in Portland. Joining us today are Matt Greco, owner of Rye Room Recording Studio in Portland, and Matt Adam Sweeney, frontman for Portland alternative rock band The Breaking. Thanks again for joining us, guys. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, seriously, this has been really great so far. So, uh, um, Matt, if you can like talk to us a little bit about like client comes in, they want a recording project. Like, say it's a band, yeah, because we're all musicians here. Talk a little bit about you know what you need from them, what they can get from you. Like, you know, what do you talk to them about? Maybe first when they come in to yeah, totally. When they present. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Usually, my first kind of client meeting when a band or artist comes in usually involves first me talking about general scope of the project, what are they looking to do, whether it just be a single or, or an EP or maybe a full length or something. Is it just a solo artist and do they need session players? Is it a band and they feel good about that? And do they need anyone else to come in potentially? 
that kind of stuff, overall budget stuff. Do they want to hire me to produce? That's a big question that usually comes up. And of course, the producer thing is such a gray area. So <laughs> even on projects where I'm not necessarily getting this hired like to produce. Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, yeah, even on projects where I'm not necessarily getting hired to produce, I'm still wearing the producer hat the majority of the time. But if I am getting hired to produce, then we are spending time in pre-production. And, you know, there's definitely a whole process that I kind of explain to the band and say, this is what will involve hiring me to produce and, and that kind of stuff. And it is definitely, for me, going into the studio uh, really should be about laying down really good performances and executing those in the best sort of way. So doing the kind of due diligence ahead of time with pre-production is a big part of the process for me usually. Yeah, so that makes sense. Is it as simple as like, um, I mean, Matt made it almost sound like there's a good checklist. Maybe it's a metal checklist or whatever. I mean, is it that simple? Is it like, um, not to say what, what you what you said is, is simple, but can you use the same approach like a lot of the times with different musicians? You know, it really depends on the type of musician and the level of musician and how much experience they've had in the studio themselves. That can make a big difference. If you're working with a band that has been doing this for years, they're probably, not all the time, but probably going to come in, you know, well-rehearsed, knowing the songs, having an idea of what arrangement they want to happen, having a, an idea of what production style. And they may or may not be working with a producer as well, who's kind of helping shape the sound and vibe of that recording. I also work a lot with uh, artists who this is their first record they've ever made or the first record they've made outside of their own home. Uh, and they're not aware of, um, you know, what all is required. They might show up not having the songs figured out. And maybe they've got some friends that have come into play, but they aren't, you know, great session musicians. And that's a very different animal than working with seasoned veterans. So the approach is is very different. Yeah. One might require a little more handholding or a little just more guidance um, at the beginning uh, whereas others, they're just ready to jump right into business. Which, which ones do you like better? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually really love both. I honestly do. It's a blast to work with a band that has its act together and is ready to go because the amount of progress that you can make is astounding. But it's also really, really cool to work with an artist that maybe this is their first record and watch them kind of gain confidence at, in the studio and in that process. Uh, a lot of times new artists artists are really reserved when they come into the studio and I feel like it's my job to help them you know tap into that performance aspect that same aspect that they have on stage uh, even when they're in a vocal booth in front of a mic. Uh, Adam as a musician uh, what do you look for in a studio and its staff? Well, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, it's changed with probably every single project that I've worked on. But I would say vibe is insanely important. Um, I love that Matt focuses so much on vibe at the Rye Room with those beautiful Edison bulbs. <laughs> um, you know, the vibe of a space can really add to a project. It can be really inspiring. But I also look for efficiency, you know. And, you know, if someone's uh, always debugging gear, if there's bad channels on the board and you're constantly running into that, it can kind of derail the process. So, sure. you know, looking for a space that has a good sound, knowledgeable staff, access to gear that I maybe don't have at home, and then has a good vibe, it's kind of the complete package. I don't know. Basically, like, you know, 
we think about studios having a certain sound. I mean, Phil Spector, boom, all of a sudden, right. and, and whatnot. Yeah. If you guys can just talk a little bit about that. I mean, when you're looking for clients, what do you say about your studios? What kind of sound can you offer them? Yeah, part of it for me is, of course, because it's my personal space and and I'm so involved. Uh, it's not like I have a lot of freelancers working out, out of the Rye Room. And so a big part of the sound that comes out of the studio is is the sound of kind of me and, and the music that I like and a lot of the music that I work on and, you know, all that kind of stuff goes, obviously goes into it. But I feel like some studios definitely uh, not only outside of the producer, but some studios definitely have a very kind of uh, sonic signature because of maybe a big live room that they might have or something like that, where people specifically are going there to record drums and, you know, kind of bigger stuff, and they want to capture the sound of that specific room sound in that studio. Yeah, so I mean, I'd say, I mean, Jackpot, who mentioned earlier, they, yeah. they have a pretty specific sound, I think. I mean, if, if you listen to Slater Kinney, it is super sonic, but it's also... Um, a little bit loose. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Jackpot is actually an incredibly versatile studio, um, but I think uh, that, that brings up a really good point of genre. A lot of times um, a studio will get pegged for a particular genre, and it's really oh, yeah. just a function of one band worked there, loved the experience, yeah, and told right, all their friends right. exactly. who tend to be in a similar genre. <laughs> totally. Um, I run a smaller production studio out of my home called The Rabbit Hole, and I've been working with, uh, well, Tribe Mars was my latest client, and working with a lot of bands kind of in the Goodfoot scene with Joy Tribe and band called Slim and Condition White. And those are more like funk and R&B and hip hop projects. And here I am in an indie rock and alternative band. And I'm like, why are, why am I getting all these projects? But it's because I, I did one that, you know, that went really well. And it just leads to more projects in that genre. Often. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Hey, Matt, what can uh, musicians do to make your job easier? I would say, honestly, one of the biggest ones for me is just is practice slash rehearsing, you know, that that's it, it seems like such a simple thing, but making sure that you're well rehearsed and just well practiced, you know, before coming into the studio is is really important. And the majority of bands and artists, they understand that concept. But there is a surprising amount that don't quite understand that concept. So. <laughs> hey, Adam. Um, what can engineers or producers do to make the uh, musician's job easier? Well, uh, you know, hopefully they're inspiring them with confidence and setting them at ease. When a musician works with a producer for the first time or, an, or a separate engineer for the first time, it really frees them up to just be an artist and focus on the performance aspect uh, and knowing that, you know, the producer, the engineer has the sound. They, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're going to capture something great. Um, I think that's the biggest thing they can do mm. is relieve that pressure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've done a little bit of recording and it, it also just helps to be able to, I don't know, communicate and be sociable with whoever's recording as well. I mean, sometimes if someone's just kind of sitting there stone faced and they cannot get into the music or whatever, but, um, but it's just, I don't know. Yeah, rapport. Be, be nice too, so. Yeah, <laughs> it's extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say there's definitely very much a social aspect. Like I've, I've um I've kind of gone throughout my career of you know had like restaurant jobs and you know right. like sales jobs whatever and like I feel like all those jobs though they all lend themselves to being sociable and and 
interacting well with people. And that's a direct correlation with being a producer and engineer and working right. in the studio. I would guess that Portland uh, studio operators are different than they are in most other places in that regard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so, true. So the uh, recording studio scene in Portland, that's what we're talking about. And we will have more when we come back. Support for Biz503 comes from Premium Websites, offering website and social media marketing to startups and small businesses. For more, go to premiumwebsites.net. Welcome back to Biz503. We're here with Matt Greco of The Rye Room Recording Studio and local musician and recording engineer Adam Sweeney, who's currently working on a story or a, a series of stories, I guess, or a guide, That's per right. se. A whole with, issue. A whole issue, man, with Vortex Magazine. And that issue will be about uh, recording studios in Portland. That'll be extremely valuable. So, uh, Adam, I'm kind of hoping that we can, like, just back up a little bit, maybe get a lay of the land here in Portland. Um, I mean, how are studios here doing? Doing? Are, are, are you thriving? Are you, uh, has there been like a recession? I don't know. It seems like sort of a, a steady but never super bustling industry to me. Right. It really depends on the space. You know, spaces like Jackpot or Flora, yeah, they're thriving. They're doing great. They have plenty of work. There are other studios that have to do a lot more hustling and, and like self-advertising or I do a lot of work out of the map room here in town, and I know that they have done a lot of strategies to get more people into the room. It's an amazing space. They've offered like some late night recording, a different rate if you record late at where, night versus the, during the, the day. The map room, where, where is it? Oh, it's over by Reed College off like Holgate. Okay. Uh, fantastic space. Uh, Josh there used to work for Hampton, and so he's built a lot of his own microphones and modded most of the gear in that space. Oh. It sounds fascinating. They have a great Studermark three tape machine. And they actually get a ton of people in there, and they recently just put in a new a new board uh, with really interesting summing. All the audiophile nerds will love that you can switch between spec, Neve, or API summing channels, wow. um, thanks to Josh's modification. Get into the tech. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in general, I think it's a struggle. I would say, you know, you're kind of looking to the next month or maybe a couple months beyond that. But I, I think most studios in Portland that I have experience with, they're not booking out much further than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the pressures, as it were, is real estate a lot of the times. And I mean, have you been hearing about like studios maybe getting pushed out of space? Like, you know, a lot of small businesses are getting rent increases yeah. and whatnot. Are, are you hearing a lot about, you know, the, the hitting you guys at all? Yeah, a little bit on and off. I think it kind of depends on, of course, the studio and the location and everything. But more and more, and this is not just a Portland trend. This is very much a national and, uh, and probably worldwide trend as well, where just bigger studios in general are going away because with higher overhead and that kind of stuff, they can't accommodate the much smaller budgets that that are kind of coming through now. So if anything, yeah, it's the bigger studios that are kind of going away and, and or are getting pushed out. The smaller studios and kind of mid-level studios, I don't really see those going away as much so yeah. the budgets so you're talking about the artists or slash clients their their budgets are getting smaller mm -hmm. like why why is that or just the overall smaller budget thing has just mostly come to um not as many bands being uh supported by labels and not really 
necessarily caring about being supported by labels anymore. <laughs> Just the general shift in the music industry has changed quite a bit. So yeah, a lot more independent bands now and artists. And that means smaller budgets just because those people are, if they are full-time musicians, it's definitely difficult to make a lot of money from gigging and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and even if you are on tour all year long and trying to save up money just to do one record, um, you still might only be able to save up, you know, maybe like in between 10 to like 20K, which is uh, seems like a decent budget for a record nowadays, but um, compared to even what it was like five, six years ago, that's definitely, definitely not quite... Totally changed. The, the label thing is wild because, yeah, they would come in and, I mean, if it was someone they supported, they would just throw, you know, tens of thousands of dollars at them and then make the band pay it back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, no skin off your guys' yeah. teeth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, to, uh, to piggyback on that last one, um, there's some, uh, Rock and Roll B&B is a great example. They were in a great destination yeah. studio on Savi's Island. It was out, run out of a house by Sean Flora, and uh, that house sold. He was yeah. renting the space, and it sold, and it was it was wonderful. It was very successful, but the space wasn't oh, available. One of the anymore. kind. I mean, yeah, it was. And then um, I know Jeff Bond and Interlace Audio just had to move out of their place in the Rose Quarter because they sold the building to build condos. Oh, um, oh, yeah, you right. know, I know that uh, Super Digital is, that building is selling where Cloud City yeah. is I as just well. Heard that. Yeah, um, it's like these really great destination places that maybe aren't having a budget problem are being forced out by this whole leasing problem that the city is having in general. Yeah. Did I hear that Super Digital, though, it, it'll it'll continue under a different name? or That I'm not sure. Been? That I'm unsure of, too. Yeah, yeah I've, I've heard some rumors, but I'm not... Can't, can't confirm. Yeah, no, that, that would be a loss <laughs> on a number of, uh, number of levels. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. They've been yeah. on forever, yeah. An institution around here. Um, so uh, who then tends to own the studios in Portland? I mean, is there like a... They are mostly independently owned, right? Uh, to like, my knowledge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so that, that makes sense. So are you hearing about people who are like looking to buy existing studios? I don't hear about that very often. Usually I see people building studios from the ground up, but I don't hear about the sale of them very often. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I'm just not aware of any. Yeah, yeah. That, it definitely doesn't happen too often. But every once in a while, someone who does have a studio, if they maybe decide to move or something and the studio's already built out, then they will try to, uh, you know, have someone else rent that studio space because it's already built out studio and it's perfect for like an engineer or someone to move in there. So that does happen on occasion. I guess the example I can think of the breaking is about to go into Loud War, which used to be Ripcord up in Vancouver. Uh, to do our next record, and um, that was recently sold to the guys in the band Priory because they, got, I think, oh, they got yeah. a big advance from their label. Oh, nice. Ended up buying that studio. Uh, our producer Patrick Tetrault moved to a place called Feng Shui, also in Vancouver, and I believe he just kind of turned that over to his assistant because they were keeping it so busy. And mm -hmm. now Patrick's doing a lot of mobile recording and production, and ironically, is going to produce my band out of Loud War again. So it's oh, kind of oh, coming full circle. But that's that's one one instance where I can uh, think of where a, a major studio was sold recently. Yeah. Adam, uh, are Portland studios competitive with other studios in like say Seattle or Los Angeles? Absolutely. You know, it's a very different vibe and it depends on the space. Mm -hmm. I think there are less the very high-end professional studios here in Portland than there are in say LA or mm -hmm. Nashville. I think we're fairly competitive with what I've seen in Seattle though. 
I would say. Yeah, I would, I would agree with and that. And studios of all shapes and sizes in every city that you're going to encounter. Portland is not unique in that regard. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, okay, good deal. Well, that's all we have time for today. And thank both you guys for coming in. And this has been extremely productive. And uh, just, you know, hopefully... Uh, People look you up online and bring their bands in. and Right, and look for that issue of Vortex out on April 21st. It's Record Store Day. That's gonna be, oh, man, that's you, you'll have <laughs> a great audience for that then. So um, so that was Matt Greco, who's mixing engineer, producer, and owner of the Rye Room Recording Studio in Portland, and Adam Sweeney, who's the frontman for the band The Breaking, and he's also a local recording engineer. Adam, as we mentioned, is working with that story in Vortex. Check that out. That's going to be amazing. I can't talk about that enough. This 503 is produced by Kobe Hutzler with Carl Lucky and edited by Daniel Lynn. This 503 is a production of Portland Radio Project. A big thank you to PRP's podcast coordinator, Nastasia Voicin. I'm Andy Gigrich. And I'm Kevin Hahn. Thank you for listening and have a great week. <laughs>